0: Doesn't everybody love a good mystery? At the end of a Miss Marple novel or an episode of CSI, always revealed the guilty are exposed and justice and harmony reign. Unsolved mysteries, though, are a good deal less fulfilling, and untied loose ends are really not appreciated. That's why people continue to puzzle over what happened to Amelia Earhart, who Jack the Ripper really was, and why Ryan Seacrest is so popular. To people of a certain age, one mystery, now a bit overlooked in the mists of time, brings back floods of memories, reminding us of once novel and colorful phrases like expletive deleted and dirty tricks and unindicted co-conspirator. If you're too young to remember the Saturday Night Massacre or the smoking gun, you missed one of the most turbulent times in the nation's history when the resilience of the Constitution was seriously in question, and the question of the time was... What did the president know, and when did he know it? Sadly, we've heard that a few more times since then. For a time, a great deal of attention focused on one strip of magnetic tape, about 90 feet worth, with an unexplained buzz where there should have been conversation between two of the most powerful men in the country. Its mere existence contributed to the growing sense of cynicism and further undermined people's trust of the government and other institutions. The mysteries locked up in that tape, and what is and isn't there, transfixed the nation at the time, and still does for some, and the desire to know, to figure it out, goes on. A document to change the world, a tape of a conversation between Richard Nixon and H.R. Haldeman, specifically an 18-and-a-half-minute interruption, recorded in the Executive Office Building, 1972. I'm Joe Janes of the University of Washington Information School, and much as I hate to spoil a good mystery, let me give away the ending here. We don't know what's in the 18 and a half minute gap, though that's not for lack of trying to find out. The conversation in question was of Nixon and Haldeman's meeting on June 20th, 1972, starting about 1130 in the morning. June 20th, is three days after the Watergate break-in on the 17th, and, entertainingly, one day after a unanimous Supreme Court ruled that the government had no authority to spy on private citizens without warrants. Those were the days. It's also, sadly, the day Howard Johnson went to that big Hojo's in the sky. Nixon wasn't the first president with a yen for recording. FDR, JFK, and LBJ indulged as well, though not nearly with such thoroughness. Microphones were also installed in the Oval Office and Cabinet Room and at Camp David, including phone lines. In total, about 3,500 recordings were made, now housed in the National Archives and the Nixon Presidential Library, after a string of legal battles lasting a quarter of a century over disputes on executive privilege and national security. The recording itself is hard to understand. The voices are faint... There's an odd burping noise from the voice-activated recorder starting and stopping, and mostly, it's deadly, deadly dull. Imagine sitting in on somebody else's meeting that you have no involvement in and bring a pillow. They talk about the weather, the president's schedule, and magazine coverage, a woman running for Congress from Michigan, and recent flooding in Rapid City, South Dakota. In the middle of discussing sending Mrs. Nixon to visit South Dakota, she went, the voices abruptly stop seven minutes, 12 seconds into the tape, and a penetrating and persistent buzz begins. This lasts for the now infamous 18 and a half minutes before stopping as abruptly when they're discussing the upcoming Democratic convention before they turn to weightier matters like Haldeman's opinion of the movie Hot Rock. And that's it. Recording went on for another year or so until the existence of the tapes, previously a closely held secret, was revealed in the course of the Watergate hearings. Spare thought now for Rosemary Woods, a footnote to history and no doubt a woman of integrity and trust, Richard Nixon's loyal secretary since 1951. In later transcribing tapes, she discovers to her horror, so she said, the gap. She took the fall, for a few minutes worth at least, thinking that maybe she had kept her foot on a pedal control while reaching across the desk for a phone call and mistakenly hitting the record button rather than the stop. This rosemary stretch didn't really convince anybody, and besides, there's another 14 minutes to account for. There have been numerous dogged attempts to unearth what was there and what happened, a special investigative panel of forensic audio experts went at it at the time, they were able to find out that there were actually between five and nine segments to the buzz corresponding to different electrical outlets the recorder had been plugged into at various times, that it was done by hand, that speech had been there, but that despite trying a variety of highly specialized techniques, they couldn't recover it. Later investigations, as recently as 2009, have examined the tape as well as Haldeman's somewhat fishy handwritten notes from the meeting, which may or may not have been fiddled with. Hyperspectral imaging, video spectral comparison, and electrostatic detection analysis have been used, and the results? Bupkis. It's a buzz. A few buzzes, in fact, and at least for now, unexplained buzzes they will remain. Theories, though, continue to abound. Maybe Rosemary Woods did more damage than she thought, that shadowy White House lawyers got to the tape, or, as Alexander Haig once suggested, that Nixon himself, through technological ineptitude, had a hand in it. Or there's the much more simple explanation that when Elvis and the aliens showed up, their magnetic fields wiped the tapes. And yet, there's the tantalizing hope that some day, some new technique will come along, like fingerprints and DNA did for criminal investigations, that will let us hear beneath the buzzes and, finally, know. Because we do always want to know. Thinking about the gap initially put me in mind of the famous piece by the pianist John Cage called four minutes and thirty-three seconds, which consists of three movements of musicians doing nothing. Silence. Except, of course, it isn't silence. Cage wanted listeners to focus on the sounds of the environment and fill the space from within. Like the gap, also not silence as I had originally thought, it's a void, a hole, into which we can pour our feelings and doubts and suspicions and perhaps hear what we want to hear. This wanting to know was more than just strictly political in this case. The techniques that were used in the original forensic audio investigation broke new ground and became a textbook for future work, eventually forming part of the standards for verifying authenticity of tape recordings. Demonstrating once again that, much as we love a mystery, we'll keep digging until we figure out a way to figure it out, and in the process, sometimes, push forward the boundaries of our knowledge.